0: and welcome to The Circle Opens, a podcast devoted to a chapter-by-chapter review of Stephen King's The Stand. Do you need an affordable source for Stephen King books, movies, collectibles, and more? Make sure to visit Secondhand Bookery at secondhandbookery.etsy.com. Listeners of this podcast can use the coupon code THECIRCLE for 20% off their order anytime, and there is always free shipping to the United States. So check out Secondhand Bookery at secondhandbookery.etsy.com. So welcome back everybody. It has been a busy, busy week in the realm of King. We got his new book, The Institute on Tuesday the 10th. and of course, I've started reading it. I'm only about three chapters in because between work and kids and uh, you know working on the website, it's just been a busy week. So but I am enjoying it so far. And when I finish, I will include a non-spoilery review in one of the upcoming episodes. Or you'll be able to find it at my blog, thecircleopens.com. That site is still a work in progress, but I'm pretty happy with it so far. I'm adding a lot of content uh, to it for The Stand. So when you get a chance or you feel so inclined, uh, go ahead and check it out. And on the site, you'll also find the latest news for the CBS All Access adaptation of The Stand. On Wednesday, the 11th, we finally got news as to who will be playing Randall Flagg, among other casting choices. Uh, CBS All Access and Josh Boone have signed Alexander Skarsgard to play the dark man, Randall Flagg. Skarsgard is probably best known to you guys, um, or just best known in general for his role as Eric Northman in HBO's True Blood, which I watched the first. Um, first four seasons of that show and i was obsessed i was obsessed with the show um scarsgard played a fantastic uh eric i read the novels as well um after the fourth season i feel like it kind of went off the rails and got kind of weird so i kind of i kind of you know that show kind of fell by the wayside for me but i did enjoy Alexander Skarsgård in that show. I also thought he was fabulous in Big Little Lies. Um, he played Perry Wright, Nicole Kidman's abusive husband. Um, both uh, Skarsgård and Nicole Kidman were fantastic. Uh, there's a reason why um, Alexander Skarsgård walked away with a Golden Globe, a Critics' Choice Award, and an Emmy for his role as Perry Wright. And um, a small side note, he was also featured in the 2011 remake of Straw Dogs with James Marsden, who will also be starring in the stand as Stu Redman. And I think Scar's work, his work in Big Little Lies has shown he's a very versatile actor. He has the ability to be smooth and charming as well as manipulative and terrifying all at once. And he's a great choice. I He was never on my radar in my brain for, um, for Randall Flagg, but you know what? I don't think anybody that they've cast so far has been on my radar, but I've been pretty happy with everybody that I've um, seen being cast in the adaptation. Um, So I have a lot of faith in what Alexander Skarsgård can bring to the role as Randall Flagg. Um, Fun fact, and I'm pretty sure that everybody listening to this podcast is already aware of this, but Alexander Skarsgård is Bill Skarsgård's older brother. Bill Skarsgård has played Pennywise in It Chapter 1 and It Chapter 2. And so it's kind of fun that the two brothers are playing what are arguably two of King's most um, famous iconic villains. So they're keeping it in the family, which is kind of cool. So maybe their older brother, Gustav, can get in there in one of these King adaptations that are in the works. Preferably as a villain, just to keep the theme. Um, And we also got official confirmation from Whoopi Goldberg on The View on the 11th as well that she will be playing Mother Abigail. I know this was reported for a while, but I hadn't seen anything official from CBS All Access and Josh Boone hadn't posted on his Instagram about it. So I kind of wanted to wait on it before like jumping in and adding her to my site and talking about it a lot here on the podcast. But yes she will be finally taking on the role that apparently she had wanted to play a long time ago. So listen to this.
1: Actually, I'm one of those people. I've been yours forever for the longest time, and now I'm actually getting to do something I meant to do (coughs) 30 years ago. Go ahead, tell it. 30 years ago. So uh, the stand is being made for CBS for uh, their uh, all-access limited event series. Uh, and I'm in it. So, and it's a really big deal for me because this I play Mother Abigail, who is kind of the the best of us, what's within us, and and uh, I'm the good, shockingly, not, <laughs> you know. And I just want to thank you because every time I see him, I say, if they ever do it again, you know, I really, I real, I, I promise I'll do it this time because I desperately wanted to do it.
0: So that's a fun little clip um, from The View. They go on to talk about um, the ending that Steven has written for uh, The Stand, the button episode. And he did confirm that he has always wanted to... Um, write about Fran and Stu's journey back to Maine after they leave Boulder. So I think that's going to be our button episode from King for the end of The Stand. And Whoopi sounds like she's really excited to be a part of the series, um, which is great. And apparently she's already had like the makeup tests. Uh, Mother Abigail is 106 and King on The View said that Whoopi didn't look a day over 103 in the makeup. So that's great. And we've also got some other roles filled. Um, Jovan Adepo will be playing Larry Underwood and Adepo was recently in, um, when they see us, that was a four episode miniseries about the central park five and the central park five, for those who don't know, um, were five young African American men who were falsely accused of rape and assault. And he was also featured in the Elizabeth Olsen Facebook series. Sorry for your loss. And I remember him from, um, he played Denzel Washington and Viola Davis's son in Fences. And he's been great in everything I've seen him in. So this casting news really excites me. Larry is my favorite character from The Stand. Um, Honestly, I'm glad to see some diversity in the cast. And I hope that we will get some more of it. Uh, Brad William Henke from Orange is the New Black. I hope I said his last name right. H-E-N-K-E Henke. Uh, He has been cast as Tom Cullen, and I've never watched Orange is the New Black, but I did see him in Split, and he was not at all lovable or (laughs) Tom Cullen-ish in that movie. He was awful. Um, Awful the character, not awful the actor. But he's also been in Sneaky Pete, and he was in Fury with Brad Pitt, and he was also on the Netflix uh, movie Bright with Will Smith. So he definitely has that teddy bear lovable look about him, though, and Tom's character is a difficult one to pull off because you don't want to be insensitive or offensive with the portrayal, and I have a lot of faith in Boone, and I think Henke will do a great job. Owen Teague, who a lot of King fans will recognize um, as Patrick Hoxtedder from It Chapter 1, will play Harold, Harold Louder. so Teague was pretty creepy as Hoxtedder and I don't know. I think I like this a lot. I know he was in the series Bloodline on Netflix, which was pretty great. So um, Harold is a teenager when we meet him, and you know what? Uh, Teague is 20, so I'm glad they got someone closer to Harold's age rather than casting someone much older. I know like in my brain, I always love Dane DeHaan for Harold, but he's got to be in his 30s now, right? Late 20s? So um, I really like this casting. I think he's going to do a great job. It'll be fun to see him playing off the other uh, actors, especially uh, James Marsden and Amber Heard. And last but not least, we got some news that Daniel Sunjata will be playing a character named Cobb. And Cobb is a military man who is tasked with supervising Stu. Uh, Sunjata has been on Rescue Me and I know him from Graceland, the series Graceland. And I can't remember if that, I think that was the USA Network. Um, but Cobb seems to be a new character. So I don't know if if he's completely new or that maybe they're merging some of the characters in the Atlanta or Stovington portion of the book to create Cobb. Um, maybe Dietz or Denninger, um, perhaps. I'm not sure yet. I'm not, I, I have no idea. So, I have seen him in quite a few things, and the description of the character intrigues me. Um, I know a lot of, like, hardcore faithful um, by-the-book fans might be like, who is this? Blah, 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 blah. But, you know, give it a chance. I always like to give everything a chance before I get judgy. So I'm excited about this casting news, and it was very frustrating because I was standing in line for lunch on Wednesday when all this came out, and I was just on my phone and being one of those obnoxious people not paying attention because I was just enthralled by all the news that was coming out for the adaptation. Um, and today, as I'm recording this podcast, it's Friday the 13th. Dun, dun. Um, Josh Boone has posted two photos to his Instagram today. And well, one was a photo and one's a video. And the photo is simply... A few denim jackets hanging up. And the caption is, Alexander Skarsgård will play Randall Flagg, the Dark Man, in Stephen King's The Stand. And the denim jackets are all fairly similar, just in different degrees of cleanliness, it looks like. Um, just an iconic shot, if you ask me. I got so excited seeing those denim jackets. I hope we get the buttons on the front as well the yellow smiley face and i'm not sure about the uh the pig with a police hat but you never know (laughs) um the video is just a quick zoom in shot of the script for episode one of the stand which apparently has begun filming today the 13th and what a perfect day to start filming this uh limited series the front of the script has the stand and that really cool old school font from the first edition um Way back in the 70s, and it reads episode 101. It's titled The End. So it seems like episode one is going to be titled The End. And The End is also that door song that Marilyn Manson has covered for the limited series as well. Uh, Episode one was written by Josh Boone and Ben Cavell. I hope I'm not saying his name wrong. I'm really bad with names. Cavell Cavell. Um, it's also been directed by Boone and at the end of the clip, it says, be true, stand, which is a quote we all know from Mother Abigail from the 1994 miniseries. So what do you guys think of this casting? Are you excited? Have you been pleased so far? Um, is there a role that you're still waiting to see filled? Um, I know there are a lot left and I'm sure at some point they're going to be announcing them or, you know, maybe they'll just show up on IMDb. But yeah, I'm excited. I'm sure you guys can hear it in my voice. Um, It's just been one of those great weeks to be a King fan. Um, So now that I've rambled on a bit about the casting and the like, I think we're going to get back to the stand in chapter 19. And if any of the listeners today are new to the podcast, welcome. And I hope you're, I actually hope you're starting from episode one. But if you're not, just a quick note that I'm using the Kindle version of the stand for the podcast. Uh, I know some of the physical editions do not line up with the others in terms of the chapter numbers. Um, so for the purpose of the podcast, I'll be using the Kindle version. Um, looking through some of my editions, um, I try to collect the different variants and I look through, and most of them seem to be on par with the Kindle, but there are a few um, that do not line up chapter wise. So use the Kindle if you're going to be following along with me. And a quick recap of the fairly lengthy chapter from last week with chapter 18. Nick Andros was still in Shoyo, Arkansas, although we don't know for how much longer. After being temporarily deputized to help out the ailing Sheriff John Baker, Nick keeps an eye on three of the four men in holding cells who were responsible for beating and robbing him the fourth ray booth got away unfortunately um and baker is suffering from captain trips although he doesn't know that is captain trips or even what captain trips is nobody does but the doc doc soames has become suspicious and is fairly certain that someone made a mistake somewhere and this was the result this captain trips we get some nice background on nick as a character And I have to interject here really quick because I did some math in my head. (laughs) In chapter 9, Nick tells Baker that he's 22. But in chapter 18, he writes down that he was born November 11th, 1968. Now, this takes place in 1990, uh, June and July of 1990. So if it's this just say the end of June, June 1990, he's still technically 21 and won't be 22 until November of that year. Maybe I'm doing the math wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's right. <laughs> so I, I really am awful at math, but I, I did it in my head. I did it on the calculator. Um, if I'm wrong, someone please tell me. Because, I mean, it's just a little tiny thing, but it's just something that jumped out at me because I had written down he was 21. And then looking back, he said he was 22. And I'm going off on a tangent. Let's get back to it. So before, before learning that Baker had died from the flu and his wife, Janie, is infected, Doc Soames tells tells Nick that 12 people have already died. Um, There are about 20 more on their way out. And this was all in about a day. Shoyo is turning into a ghost town. And the army has it quarantined under the guise of construction to outsiders who may pass by the exit on the highway. Um, And, you know, Nick is so far healthy. And he looks to be immune to the disease like stew. So, chapter 19 takes us back to New York City where Larry Underwood is in Times Square musing that while there were different shops and people on the corners it felt the same to him. The only real difference now was he felt like a tourist in his hometown. Larry thinks that he has forgotten what it was like to be a part of New York and he isn't really sure he wants to relearn that either. We also learn that his mother Alice is fighting a cold a.k.a. Captain Trips, because there's no such thing as the common cold anymore. Anybody who is sick in this book is dying. She was in the kitchen working on breakfast um, while Gene Shalit was on the television interviewing a glassblower who sneezed during the interview. Captain Trips. I don't know if Gene Shalit made it, but I don't think we're going to find out either. But I hope that he did. I hope he made his way to Boulder, Colorado, or maybe Vegas. Who knows? Alice is sneezing um, and coughing. She's running a fever, has swollen glands, all of the regular symptoms of Captain Trips. Um, She doesn't want to go to the ER. She just thinks taking an aspirin and laying down for a while will be enough. Um, She doesn't want to go any place that even, she doesn't want to even attempt to go to walk-in care. Um, She has no desire to go sit in a waiting room for five hours. And you know what? I don't blame her. Larry does what he can to help around the house. He even, it's really sweet. He takes the TV into her bedroom so she has something to watch while she's resting. And she's kind of grumbling about it. You know, he's going to give himself a hernia just so she can watch. Let's make a deal. But Larry even goes down to the market to get her a few paperbacks to read. And it's nice seeing him do something for his mom for a change rather than the other way around. <laughs> and after that, well, you know, there's not a whole lot for them to do then other than to get on each other's nerves. Um, when Larry finally decides to get out and see some of the city again, Alice's relief is kind of blatant, <laughs> but that's okay. She wants to take a nap, and Alice calls Larry a good boy. So that's how Larry ended up in Times Square. He wanders a bit aimlessly for a while, and here's his song, Baby Can You Dig Your Man, floating out of a discount record store. It says... That's me, he thought, looking vacantly in at the albums, but today the sound depressed him. Worse, it made him homesick. He didn't want to be here under this gray, washed-up sky, smelling New York exhaust, one hand constantly playing pocket pool with his wallet to make sure it was still there. New York, thy name is paranoia. Suddenly, where he wanted to be was in a West Coast recording studio, making a new album. I find it very interesting that Larry is homesick, Despite technically being home, Um, he doesn't consider New York home anymore. He was born there. His mom is still there, but it's not home to him. He feels like a tourist. He considers California to be his new home with a bunch of people who don't really care about him who are tacking along on his success for the perks. That's what Larry considers to be home. He wants to make more music, although given his financial problems right now, it would be interesting to know if that will actually happen. But maybe, I mean, maybe Larry is just a one-hit wonder like Wayne Stookie thought he would be. Uh, Larry heads into an arcade, gets $10 worth of quarters, before heading to a phone booth across the street at the Beef and Brew. For those of you too young to remember, a phone booth is essentially a kiosk with a payphone where you play, you pay a quarter to make a phone call. And I can't remember the last time I used a phone booth, let alone saw one. Um, if you want a great story about phone booths, check out Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. That's all the history of the phone booth that you're ever going to need to know. So back to Larry, he makes a phone call to Jane's place. And this is not Jane, a woman's place. Jane's place is a bar, I guess a restaurant. It's probably a bar knowing Larry. Um, and another great pastime of us older folks having to remember phone numbers from memory rather than a mobile contact list. I remember super short story, but I remember when my daughter, my first daughter was born, she's an infant still. And I was taking her out of the house, Um, left my phone and car keys in the diaper bag right inside. I had planned to grab that after I took her out and the door shut and locked me out in the middle of summer. It was awful. It was hot. Um, I tried to break into my own house. That didn't work. That was a bad idea. None of my neighbors were home. So I had to walk um, like two blocks with my my daughter to find somebody outside who would let me use their cell phone to call my husband. And I finally found this this poor guy was uh, washing his car. And I come up to him and I ask him, I tell him what I did. I ask if I can use his phone. And he was probably, he didn't even hesitate. He gave me the phone. Um, I probably looked like a crazy person, sweaty and red faced and crying. Um, And then I I opened his phone and I just stared at it because I could not remember my husband's phone number. I couldn't remember my mom's phone number. I just, it was gone and it wasn't the stress of the situation. I just didn't know it. So finally, um, I was able to get a hold of my husband and he called my mom for me. So, um, I digress. I'm just rambling on this off topic again, but yeah, remembering phone numbers back in the day was easy. I could do it when I was a teenager, drop off a dime, just pick up the phone, call my friends, or, I, you know, you had the cool little phone books and nowadays cell phones carry everything you need. So, um, I think it'll be fun to see how they do this in The Stand. I don't know if they're going to stick to the 90s or if they're modernizing everything um, for the adaptation. I'm not sure. But I apologize for the ramble. I just found this little bit in the book to be kind of humorous and uh, very dated. But that's okay because so many things in this book are dated. So it's all right. Um, He calls Jane's Place, which is a bar. And he's hoping to catch Wayne Stookie there. And it seems to be their usual hangout because a woman answers the phone that Larry clearly knows because he kind of is a little sultry, flirty with her. And her name is Arlene. And she catches on very quickly. That is Larry. And she's wondering where he's been. Larry explains that he headed to the East Coast after being told that some bloodsuckers were after him. Arlene knows this. Um, she's heard all about his big party. She calls him the big spender. Larry asks about Wayne, and Arlene realizes that Wayne, or Larry, has not heard about Wayne. Wayne is in the hospital. This is the first time, I think, that we hear a civilian call the flu Captain Trips. Um, Starkey, General Starkey, has been calling it Project Blue. Um, King has described it as Captain Trips kind of in the narration, but uh, I think this is the first time somebody's actually said this thing is called Captain Trips. Um, It's a nickname people out on the West Coast has given the super flu. And a lot of people have died already from it. People are scared. They're staying inside. Nobody wants to go out. She says that Jane's place never has empty tables. And today they have six empty tables. Larry asks about Wayne's condition, but Arlene tells him that nobody knows because there are wards and wards of people in the hospital and none of them can have, they can't have visitors. There's also a lot of soldiers around with guns and riding and convoys, and it doesn't sound good. She tells Larry he's better off staying where he is, although you and I both know that is not the case. There has not been anything on the news, but Arlene says there are things in the paper about getting flu boosters. However, people are now speculating that the Army got careless with, quote, one of those little plague jars. So I guess you could say that conspiracy theories have already started, but I wonder if it's a conspiracy theory, if it's the truth. Larry believes that's all just scare talk, stuff to scare people, frighten people. Um, There's nothing like Captain Trips in New York after all, although thinking about it, it reminds Larry that his mom is sick. And now that he's giving it more thought, there was a lot of sneezing and coughing in the subway. But cold germs are gregarious. Uh, They like to share the wealth. So he doesn't really give it much thought. He is running out of time on the phone call. Another fun fact, if you're calling long distance and you're on the phone too long, an operator will interrupt you and ask you for more money. Um, He tells Arlene that he'll be back in California in a week or so, and maybe they'll go out. Flirty, flirty, flirty. Arlene suddenly remembers that Wayne Stuckey was in a couple of days before he had to go to the hospital, and he gave Arlene an envelope to keep safe for Larry for when Larry returned. Larry asks her what's inside, so she opens the envelope and explains that it's a savings account book from the First Commercial Bank of America with a balance of $13,000, some good news uh, good news for Larry, I guess. Um, I'm not sure where that money came from or what Wayne Stuckey had to do to get it, but it doesn't really explain it. So uh, he and Arlene say goodbye. Larry calls his mother, and he thinks, quote, Your first impulse is to share good news. Your second is to club someone with it. He thought, no, he believed that this was entirely the former. He wanted to relieve both of them with the news that he was solvent again, but the phone keeps on ringing and Alice does not answer and he recalls how sick she was and he's hoping that she didn't get up and try to go into work after all because he doesn't think that she's even physically capable of doing that uh, with how weak she was. So he takes his quarters and he heads on home. The apartment door is locked and despite some knocking, uh, nobody answered. His mom doesn't come to the door. Larry's about to head to Mr. Freeman's apartment to get help, but he hears his mom groan on the other side of the door. Larry uses his shoulder to bust it open, and he finds his mom on the floor, half in and half out of her bedroom, and her breathing is harsh and clogged with phlegm. Quote, But the worst thing, the thing he never forgot, was the way her visible eye rolled up to look at him, like the eye of a hog in a slaughtering pen. Her face was bright with fever. That's just terrifying, that little tidbit. I could see it so clearly in my mind, and it kind of gave me the shivers. I did not, I didn't like it. Larry picks his mom up and carries her back to her bed, and he notices that her fever um, is really bad. Her body is extremely hot, and he thinks no one could remain so hot and live. Her brains must be frying in her head. The fever has also made Alice delirious. Um, She kind of yells at Larry to go get his father at the bar, He's with this photographer again, and this is very upsetting to Larry. He puts her back in bed. He tries to call the hospital, but he only gets, oh, sorry, guys. I had to shift my foot a little bit. He only gets a recorded message that says that their circuits are busy. Larry hangs up the phone, and I can understand where he's coming from, the frustration, because what kind of hospital has a recording like that? Uh, Stay on the line. We'll get back to you. We'll get to you when we can. Um... You know, you think of a hospital as a place to go when you're sick, when you're ill, you need life-saving care, and suddenly they're unavailable. What are you supposed to do? Larry has no clue what to do. Uh, He thinks about going to get Mr. Freeman to watch his mom while he goes to the hospital. Um, Should he call a private ambulance? Larry thinks, Christ, how come nobody knew about these things when they needed to know about them? Why didn't they teach it in school? Larry tells his mom that he'll be right back. And in true Larry fashion, as he's leaving, he thinks to himself, these things always happen to me. Why did it have to happen after I got the good news? How is this going to screw up my plans? How many things am I going to have to change around? And these are pretty despicable thoughts. His mom may be dying and he's worried about how her sickness, her potential death is going to screw up his plans. Uh, woe is Larry why do bad things always happen to Larry Um, the upside is Larry is aware of how horrible these thoughts are he wants that voice to die a quick nasty death but it won't shut up the chapter ends with he ran down the stairs to Mr. Freeman's apartment and thunder boomed through the dark clouds as he reached the first floor landing the door blew open and a curtain of rain swept in so Alice Underwood has come down with Captain Trips. Larry learns about the super flu from his friend Arlene in California. People are getting sick and dying. Even his friend Wayne Stookie is in the hospital. I'm going to take a bet now that we will not see Wayne Stookie again. If we do, he will be dead. There are army convoys all over California, soldiers with guns. People are scared. Maybe Larry feels safer in New York at the moment, but he still plans on heading back to California in about a week. Better still, Wayne left him with a savings account with $13,000. And that kind of good news um, really wipes out any thought of a deadly flu called Captain Trips. Arlene even mentions that people are believing that the Army accidentally released the plague or a plague. But Larry dismisses this as well as fear tactics. Um, you know, but his mom is sick. And he remembered thinking that the subway sounded like a TB ward. But he still blows it off. He still blows it off because <clears throat> germs are germs. You know, they're everywhere, no matter. Um, Larry has some good news to share with his mom. He's finally get getting some money, um, but she's worse off than he, she was when he left her. And he's scared and unsure as to what to do. And I think Larry is truly worried about her, but he's still showing those streaks of selfishness again. How is this going to affect him? Why did her illness have to dampen his good news? This is an opportunity for Larry to do the right thing and help his mom who is very clearly ill and maybe repay her for doing the right thing by him by taking him in and allowing him to stay when he has had clearly some issues out west. Um, She could have easily told him to go um, but she was taking care of him because he is her son and she loves him. But here he's still thinking about himself. Um, All of this after he called him a good boy for helping her. Although, you know, she may have just said that out of relief that he was finally getting out of the apartment and out of her hair. So chapter 19 is not particularly shocking. Um, There are no new major characters introduced, but it does tell us that Project Blue, the super flu, is now being called Captain Trips by people on the West Coast. And it seems to be getting out to the public now that something bad is really going on. Like Doc Soames, people are speculating that the army has messed up. Perhaps they've unleashed a new plague. The flu is spreading in California, and that's not surprising since that's where it originated from with the biological weapons facility in Campion. But now we've got it confirmed in California, Texas, Arkansas, and New York. Um, It's essentially spread countrywide, and there is no escaping it now. It's clear that Larry's mom um, is going to be a victim of Captain Trips, just like Sheriff John Baker was, um, just like Doc Holmes will be, and Baker's wife Janie. Larry doesn't seem to be showing any signs of the flu himself, but that's also not surprising. Um, what will be interesting is to see how he handles his mother's death, and the super flu spreading through a city like New York, New York City, um, I can imagine the kind of chaos that would trigger, I'm going to take a guess that Larry probably won't make it back to the West Coast. Maybe when Captain Trips is finished with New York City, Larry will be stuck there, feeling like a stranger in his hometown, a place that he feels like he no longer belongs. As a side note, I love how King described Larry's short walk around town. Or I I can't say town. New York City's not a town. It's a city. Uh, But the discount record store, the arcade... Really simple stuff like bells and bu- bells and buzzers jangled in his ears. There was the amplified ripping growl of a Death Race 2000 game, complete with the unearthly electronic screams of the dying pedestrians. I could hear those sounds in my head as I read this. I could picture that arcade as soon as Larry stepped inside. It was the same as the beginning of the chapter, the way Larry was looking at Times Square, remembering back in the day, when there was a newsstand on the corner, when he came up from up the stairs from the subway, um, a penny arcade being replaced by an orange Julius. Uh, of course, now there's more massage parlors and X-rated movies. Um, so it kind of it sounds a little seedier now than it used to be when he was a kid. And I think King excels in his characters, but he is also a master at painting of scene in your head so you can picture it perfectly. And things are really starting to speed up in terms of Captain Trips. Our our main characters so far are all dealing with the super flu now. Um, Well, almost. I mean, we've seen Stu, Nick, and now Larry immune to Captain Trips as it's infecting people they know and care about. And some of them are dying. But what about Fran? Well, we'll find out next week in Chapter 20 when we fly back to Ungunquit, Maine, where Fran gets three phone calls one good, one indifferent, and one very bad. But that is it for today's episode. And thank you guys for hanging around with me. Um, As always, if you've enjoyed this episode, or the podcast, uh, feel free to drop me a rating or review on iTunes or Apple podcasts. And I think you can rate the podcast at Facebook now too, at The Circle Opens. Or you can catch me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, at The Circle Opens. Or, of course, you can drop me a line at the closes at gmail.com. Also, a big thank you to everyone who has been recommending this podcast to their friends um, or giving me a mention on Twitter. I really appreciate it. And one thing I did notice that when I went online to my local library, we have an online digital library as well, uh, to check out the audio version of the stand. Cause I kind of wanted to be able to listen to it while I was working. All copies were checked out with pretty long waiting lists. And this has not happened to me in a really long time because for a really long time, I would go online and reserve the stand digital on my Kindle. So I could read it, um, take it with me on trips. I could carry it to work and read it. Um, And then I ended up just buying the Kindle version because it was like six bucks or whatever. But I've never had a problem getting a copy of The Stand from my library. And now I have two libraries, both of them, none of them are available. So I think that news from the um, adaptation from CBS All Access uh, has kind of triggered people wanting to reread The Stand or read it for the first time before the series comes out. And I think this is amazing. I'm hoping more people are going to dive into the story. Um, and yeah, so, you know, if you know anyone who's picking up the book and you want to mention the Circle Opens podcast, that would be great. Uh, but I really do appreciate, I appreciate all you guys. The support has been amazing. Um, I know podcasts are a lot of work. Um, I'm sitting in my closet. My closet is my studio. I sit on the ground and I record this. Uh and, but it's a lot of fun and I, I like uh, talking about my favorite novel and I hope that you guys are enjoying it as well. And that brings us to the end. It's September and still in the nineties here in Ohio, but hopefully we'll be feeling some fall weather soon. I will try not to keep complaining about the weather here, but it sucks. Uh, so before I go off on a tangent about Ohio's 80 seasons, I'm going to let you all go. M-O-O-N, that spells, see you next week.